You are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives Podcast, presented by SingleOps, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Welcome back to another episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. My name is Jay Worth. I'm the Content Marketing Manager here. And today, uh, we're very excited. We have a guest with us today, uh, Billy Ottoman from Scythe Robotics. Billy, how are you today? Doing great, Jay. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're really excited. I'm excited for this episode because I think you guys have, and this will not be a sales pitch for your product specifically, but I think you guys have an incredible innovative product. I think you guys have a really um, good insight into how c- companies in our space can incorporate tech. So, uh, Billy, we like to ask the guest each time we start an episode right off the front, um, what are some common threads, maybe two or three things you guys see or you've witnessed personally among companies in the green industry that are really doing well incorporating tech into their workflow? I think there's a few important things that are really critical when you're looking at integrating technology into your business. It's not about being tech savvy, about having the latest app or the newest iPhone, whatever, you know, whatever number they're on now. It's really a a mentality to approach your business with, a a way to look at technology and a way to look at your organization as a whole. And so as we deploy our robots to customers, and as you think more broadly about technology across the industry, I think three things that we're seeing defining successful integration at these companies is first, a learning culture. It really is about organizations who are actively and regularly trying to advance their operations, their infrastructure, their people, whatever it is that they are open to new ideas and looking to adopt new ways of doing things. Um, You know, with that comes a willingness to fail, with that comes a a challenge to maybe we're not doing things the best way and being open to those learnings. Then what do you do with those learnings and what do you do with Mm -hmm. that technology? I think the second thing that really makes a big difference is adaptability. Adoption takes adaptability. We as humans, all humans are generally resistant to change. We no don't way. like to change. We, right? Exactly. We like to do things the way they've been done because it's proven. And I think, especially in time sensitive, manual, you know, manual man hours where you're tracking very detailed logistical orchestras mm-hmm. it's important to to keep those things those practices in place but as you integrate new technologies those who are willing to adjust workflows or adjust processes you know different routing approaches different operations and technique techniques maybe different people working with each other across the organization that haven't worked with each other before that type of adaptation will really help a company succeed and then mm-hmm. last and i think perhaps most importantly It's really about commitment. It's about commitment to integrating new technology. And that commitment is expressed from leadership as an organizational charter telling the the organization, this is this is a change or this is the technology we want to get behind. It's about financial commitment. You know, it does take investment to integrate new technologies and to deploy them. There's oftentimes peripheral costs up front, but down the road, that investment pays off. But recognizing and acknowledging that that 
investment is important. And then it takes investment and a commitment to time and training. You want to make sure that you get the most out of the tools that you're deploying. And to do so, you need to make sure that your, your team is up to speed on how to use these products. So it's really those three things, and they're kind of an evolution. It's that learning culture that leads to adaptability of the product and an overall organizational commitment from leadership, a financial perspective, and training of the people. I love those. Those are all super, super important. Um, if you would, then, like, just to give our listeners a sense of who you are, how you got into the industry, um, how you landed. And if you're not familiar, by the way, we will give you a chance to to listen towards the end of this episode. Um, you can figure out how to connect with Billy or you can figure out how to connect um, with Scythe if you want to check out their products. Um, I have been in the industry a number of years. I think this is the next evolution. Um, I think it's incredible. So I, I'm a big fan of the product. That's not why we have them on the show, but I think it's certainly um, something worth exploring, If particularly if you run maintenance, if you do any kind of mowing, it's a, it's a really good, valuable tool to have. Um, but give give listeners a sense of how you got into the company, how, um, you know, what uh, what Scythe is about, and then also, uh, you know, your a little bit of your personal background and and anything anything you want to share with the guests that you think might be of interest. My background is in the creative agency world. I, I am head of marketing at Scythe. I lead all of our kind of externally facing as well as internally facing brand initiatives, anything that kind of interacts with other people and has to do with how we want to convey and present ourselves to the world, how we want to talk about what we're doing and the mission behind it. Um, my background was maybe almost a decade at a couple different agencies. I studied marketing and branding in college and then worked for a design and innovation and brand firm in Los Angeles for several years before then moving to Boulder, Colorado, which is uh, where I grew up in, in Colorado, wanted to return home, got homesick after being away for 12 years and was shocked by that idea. It's like, <laughs> I've, I've been gone for so long. I don't, I don't need to go home, but it was a wonderful move and I, I cannot be more grateful than to be back in a place that's just so beautiful and has such wonderful outdoor spaces and got has an easy access to the outdoor lifestyle and spent several years working for an agency here in Boulder called SRG, doing a bunch of different marketing, innovation, and brand work. Our clients were everything from big Fortune 100 companies to small startups, really pushing the envelope and coming up with interesting new product ideas and having a really great challenge of trying to communicate those ideas to customers. How do you get people to understand complex new ideas or change their perception about a brand based off of the products that they're offering or the marketing campaigns that they're running? So it's a really cool blend of creative strategy as well as business acumen that I find really appealing about the marketing space. Again, a lot of the work that I've done is in innovation, kind of cutting edge technologies and, and new things. And so I've always been attracted to those possibilities for, for big change, big disruption in industries. And as I was looking for that next step in my career, ready to leave the creative agency side and go in-house is kind of what you call it in marketing. You're either agency or in-house looking to, to jump ship and go into a brand, into a business that I could really help build, take all of those learnings from many years of, of consulting and, and agency work and find something exciting to really build. And I happened upon Scythe and what the team at the company was doing. They're based here in Boulder County, just up the road from me. 
there's a unique, really neat kind of budding robotics community here in Boulder County. We've got a lot of startups and a legacy of beyond tech, you know, in the natural food space and in many other businesses, Boulder and Boulder County have kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, which is a really unique environment that helps businesses thrive. Um, but there's also a budding robotics community, which is super cool. So I had seen a posting hmm. for this role at Scythe. At the time, Scythe was in stealth. It had been three years in development. The brand mm -hmm. was not publicly facing. It was purely R&D and then working very closely with some, some landscape contract partners to help us develop the product and help, you know, kind of move things along. As I was interviewing with the company, they were about to launch the brand publicly facing. This was just uh, last summer, summer of 2021. The brand was about to launch and I was interviewing and I was shocked that they didn't have a marketing person on staff as they were launching wow. this brand, but they did a phenomenal job setting the strategy, setting the tone, designing the overall look and feel of the brand and really honing in on that value proposition that M.52 or Autonomous Mower provides. And I was just super blown away. Robots are super cool. Cool. I told the team as I was interviewing, my knowledge of, of robotics is limited, but my enthusiasm is high. And that was mm. enough to <laughs> get, you know, get, get, get me in the door. But it's been an amazing learning experience to be able to see what this technology can do and what this technology can do for the industry at large. Um, and so, again, I'm entirely new to the green industry. So we've got robotics on one side. I was new to that completely wild, hurts my mm -hmm. head, and then com completely new to the landscaping industry, the green industry as well, which is complex and unique in its own way and in very many different ways. And yes. so to be able to take on that challenge and learn, especially from a marketing perspective, but from a business operations and values perspective, what it is that makes this industry unique and how solutions like ours can help advance it. And it's just been, um, you know, been a wild ride to kind of merge those two and see see the potential that they have to offer each other. And yeah, since I since I joined the team a year and a half ago, it's been quite the roller coaster. We've had, <laughs> you know, some incredible momentum and a lot of ups and downs in the day-to-day -day life, but overall it's just been an absolutely wild ride and I am thrilled to to be where we are and to be in the industry that we're in. And as part of that, part of your um correct me if I'm wrong, part of your onboarding, let's say, both to, to robotics and to the green industry, um, you've done a bit of a deep dive into the history of autonomous tech into in the industry. Yeah. Um, if you could give us kind of a 10,000-foot a view of you know where um, we've been, where we're at right now, um, that would I think that kind of context would be helpful for, for some of our listeners. Especially Certainly, those who think maybe maybe aren't quite sold on it yet. Because I'll be honest with you, um, like I was a skeptic. <laughs> I've been a skeptic of, <laughs> of other autonomous products, and I saw yours, and I think it is pretty um, pretty unique. This is not a this is not an outdoor Roomba. This is something totally different. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's been a wild history of robotics in the landscaping industry. I think we've met many, many contractors or, or many like yourself, Jay, that have this mentality of, okay, I'll believe it when I see it because they've heard, heard so much about it. Robotics has been a topic of conversation for many years, but now to see just how fast that 
innovation is happening is is really really interesting. And um, as I mentioned in my creative agency days before Scythe, one of the exercises that we would do in an innovation project was called "Look Back to Look Forward." And it's really important to understand kind of the historical context of what this technology is doing or what these products are the needs these products are meeting because it helps us understand where we're going to go and how we're going to move forward in the future. And looking at autonomy and autonomous mowers like ours and the others that are in the industry, there's really three technologies converging together. It's really about three different things coming together that are making it, making autonomous mowing possible and making it impactful. It's electric power, smart equipment, and advanced robotics. And so if you think about that, it's kind of a progression. You need each of those things for autonomy like ours to work. And Makes each sense. of those technologies are developing on their own through through the industry. And it's kind of the coming together, the convergence of these technologies that's creating a, a, a cool opportunity here. And as you look across, as you look across the industry, I think we're kind of on those on those first two getting started. Electrification was by far the most prevalent theme at all of the conferences this past season. If you were at Equip or Elevate, LNL Tech, electrification Thanks, was California. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And I think Dallas today, I think it just passed in Dallas or maybe it was um, earlier this week, but wow. yeah. we're recording this by the way, if you're listening at the very end of no. November. Um, so uh, you're listening to this and it's outdated. That's why, but yeah, I didn't, I hadn't <laughs> heard that yet. Yeah. So, so that's on its way. Shocking that they beat Austin to the table on electric, electric equipment. Um, at least it's handhelds. I'm not sure about mowers themselves, but that aside, if you look at each of these technologies, it's really interesting to see the evolution and really how slow innovation has been in landscaping equipment overall, especially mm. compared to other industries like aerospace, manufacturing, there's really been a fairly uneventful past in landscaping. The electric mower was invented in 1925. There are patents from right. Europe really? of electric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from electric mowers patented in Europe and or maybe even in the US as well in, in 1925. It's a real mower with a wow. super long extension cord that runs to the house. But that technology was almost a century ago. And we're just now today getting to a point where they are workload feasible. Mowers, electric mowers are workload feasible hmm. in the workplace. So it's taken almost a hundred years to get there. Battery powered mowers were invent kind of, you know, really started to hit the scene in the early 2000s, 2010s. So that's fairly new. But the idea mm -hmm. of electrification, even though it's the hottest topic today, has been around for almost 100 years, which is, is that, absolutely wild. Is that disconnect because, because of the extension cord, right? Like what landscaper has time to run 300 feet of extension cord, right? Is, is it because of the battery tech was lagging behind? Like the motor was there, the electric motor was there, but the is that what the disconnect was? Exactly. Yeah. The, the products themselves, electric mowers, whether it's powered by a cord or a battery had limited capacity to do the job mm. that commercial, commercial landscapers especially needed. If you look at right. household mowers, residential mowers, you've seen battery powered mowers there much earlier and much more successful, mm -hmm. but it's really that, I, you know, low power capacity and high equipment costs as well. That's really important too. So yeah. Now we're reaching a point, if we start to look forward with electric power, 
there's been a ton of investment in battery technology and more mm -hmm. is coming. A lot of that's being driven by the electric vehicle industry. Ford investing, I think, $11 billion last year alone, just Ford. And then all of the car companies are doing the same thing in, in different battery powered technologies. Right. So the cost of batteries is going to radically decrease while the capacity and power of them is going to radically increase over the last over the next few years. And hmm. so a lot of that hesitation around workload feasibility, power capacity and high costs, those are going to start to fall as those as those technologies advance which is pretty cool. And for us at Scythe, yeah. sustainability is a, a big mission of ours. We want to use technology to better take care of the planet and being able to provide a solution that can do so with zero emissions is something that we're super passionate about and excited to provide. So the electric power component alone is, is kind of one push. But then if we move to that second technology, so electric power is one, one evolution, but then the second technology is smart equipment or connected equipment. We see connected equipment mm. every, in you know, our everyday lives now, whether it's um, you know, all of the different things that are tracking our daily life you know, things that are in your house. Maybe you have a smart thermostat that's measuring and telling you your when to turn your tells heat you on. need more milk or yeah, right. Okay. Exactly, exactly. So equipment has been pretty manual and pretty straightforward in the landscaping industry and its history. If you think about even today, maintenance schedules are really based on hours used. So you have an hour right. meter on a, on a lawnmower and that's really your only metric, your only insight into how that machine is performing, how much work it's doing. And you're tracking that manually in a lot of cases, sometimes even with a clipboard and a pencil. So a system that's really prone to error yeah. and it's not tracking the intensity of those hours. If you're mowing a football field versus mowing, you know, combat highway mowing, the hour, the metric you're looking at is the same, but mm. the impact on the machine is absolutely not. And so we have, you, you have this kind of opportunity now where we see in our everyday lives, smart connected devices, how can we bring that technology to landscaping equipment, to commercial mowers? And you see some of that happening in the space. I think there's some really cool uh, GPS tracking tools, putting it on large, those things on yeah. large equipment and trucks to be able to understand where that equipment is, provide better security and accountability, also give you some insight onto the way things can be routed, RFID tags to track equipment in a in a a shop or a trailer is another good example or even some of those pucks that measure the vibration of a leaf blower or a chainsaw to be able to understand how much it's being used so all of those things are starting to appear or now if they've been around for a little while starting to be integrated already at purchase into the equipment so the the equipment's getting smarter and it's getting more and more connected yeah but that technology, so if, you know, the, the limitations of battery power or capacity and cost, as we look at connected equipment, right now the limitations are kind of fragmented and incomplete data from these retrofit solutions. You don't necessarily mm. have like full insight and you might have potential blind spots based off of the equipment that you're using. So to be able to get to a point where like our mower, it can collect and analyze that data in real time and serve up all kinds of all kinds of insights from the field automatically on its own you're going to be way more informed about what that 
what that operation looks like and what your opportunities for optimization, for efficiency, for upsells even can be. So -hmm. to be able to create a technology that has a smart product that you're using that is enabled by electric power, those two technologies together create a super powerful, a super powerful technology. Yeah. And then third, before I, before I wrap my academic lecture on the history of automation in the space, (laughs) it's the idea of advanced robotics. So that's the third technology that's happening. So electric power and connected equipment coming together with the history of robotics in the space and really creating us, creating an opportunity to do some really cool stuff like electric power. Robotic mowers have been in landscaping for decades as well. The first robotic mower in the U.S. was patented in 1969. So that technology, again, has been around for a really long time. It looks similar Seriously? to the... Yeah, yeah. I can send been around since Woodstock. The, All right. Keep, keep, keep it yeah, coming, since, Bill. You're blowing my mind right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the robot mower from the 1960s looks you know very similar to very similar to the robot mowers you see on residential properties today it just weighed like i think it's something like 40 pounds and it couldn't stop if it started rolling downhill so we've made some advancements (laughs) made some advancements there but you know overall there's been a ton there's there's been a ton of time since that innovation was introduced to the market, but we haven't seen its impact, especially in the commercial landscaping space, at least. Husqvarna launched its residential robots in 1995. So that's kind of the biggest push. And we see increasing popularity of those. But yeah, even still, that's almost, you know, that's almost 30 years of, of technology that hasn't, hasn't made its way to the commercial market, at least until now. And you really start to see because because of electrification and because of smart smart equipment connected connected equipment automation is possible robotics is possible and the sensor suites that we use on our machines and some of the others in the space use are becoming more and more sophisticated to such an extent mm. that we can now use these technologies in a commercial application there are many limiting form factors many drawbacks to using the smaller residential mowers in a commercial setting, but now we're starting to see the opportunity through the technology advancement um, and in advanced Mm -hmm. robotics, primarily the sensing systems and the AI powering them and really be able to then create new products and, and new opportunities. So it's that convergence of these three different technologies that are, that are coming together to create an exciting opportunity for the industry and that's just robotics alone. If you think about technology across the industry more broadly, software platforms, perhaps, business operation systems, things like that, um, there are similar similar kind of separate threads of technology development that are coming together. Mm-hmm. So insights from the field being put into a software platform, the development of SaaS systems overall and the economy mm-hmm. built around that, businesses advancing and really understanding what what that can um, do for do for them. So it's exciting to see and important to look at kind of not just what this latest trend is, what's the hottest new gidget or Wismo, 
but what is the what are the drivers behind it and what are their true impacts going what's their true impact going to be on on the product and on the business overall yeah i love that and you like i said you kind of messed me up with some of this stuff i had no idea about um how old some of these concepts were and it's just a matter of the rest of the tech finally catching up to the point where these are viable in, in a marketplace and viable in a commercial setting today. So yeah, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the history lesson. Um, <laughs> Cause I didn't, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, of course, that, I, I find it fascinating. So I'm, I'm glad that you're, you, you find it interesting as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had no, and I didn't even realize Husqvarna has been in the autonomous game that long. Like, mid nineties. Like I was in middle school. I can't imagine that, <laughs> that, that, that tech's been yeah. around for that long. Um, and it's just now really getting to the point where it's viable. So, um, that's fascinating to me. Um, I want to dive back into those three things you talked about that businesses that, that are able to integrate to your point, whether it's, you know, some kind of autonomous tech, whether it's, um, improved, um, functionality in their software systems or whatever. Um, companies that are really able to integrate tech well. You talked about three different things. You said a learning culture. Um, and I don't want to misquote you here. So if, I, if I'm misquoting you, please correct me. Uh, you said something to the effect of organizations that actively and regularly you know, advance their operations, their infrastructure, their people, they're primed to adopt new technologies. Um, First, I've got a two-part question here. The first one, if someone runs a company and they're already doing that, um, they're interested in adopting new tech, whether it's autonomous, semi-autonomous motors, battery technology, software, whatever, where should that company start? Like, where do, Are there any suggestions, any practical suggestions you have for a company that's already um, regularly advancing those things, they're always looking to improve? How should they go about deciding what tech to incorporate? Um, in their business? The first thing to ask would be what problems do we need to solve? There's a ton of technology solutions. You just, you just, 100%. you know, rolled off, rattled off many of them. So if you've already got an organization that has a learning culture, that's eager to try new things and always improving, good for you. Keep it up. Let's, let's roll. <laughs> but um, if you're, you know, you, you don't want to change for the sake of change. You don't want to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. If there's things that are already sticking yes. and working well. So it's really important to identify and understand what is it that your business is having trouble with? Where are there opportunities for optimization? Where are there opportunities for growth? Whether that's growth of your people, growth of your profit, growth of your business and region regionality overall, really trying to hone in and identify first on what's the problem you need to solve and then start assessing what are the technologies that can help me solve that problem the best. Yes. I could not agree with that anymore. Um, you know, I think making change for the sake of change is dangerous in a business. I think <laughs> mm -hmm. if you have a legitimate business problem to solve, that's another thing entirely. But yeah, I, I love that. That's a totally. great, great point. Um, so the second part of that question then is, if someone's listening to this and they're running a company that isn't a learning culture, right? Like they're not continually trying to streamline their infrastructure, their operations, et cetera. Um, but they recognize the need for that. How would you recommend they get started in becoming one? How do they what are there practical steps that someone listening to this can take to become a more innovative and more learning 
based uh, culture in their company? Ooh, that is a tough one, certainly. <laughs> and I know I've, I've been part of organizations like that. I'm sure you have. And, and many of the listeners, you have this desire to move and it's difficult too. I think yes. starting small, starting small is probably the best way to go. What is a small problem you have that can be solved by technology? What is mm. something that's not daunting or overwhelming it's easy to start laddering up and think like okay i have this labor issue to solve and next thing you know you're thinking about remodeling your depot and expanding <laughs> operations to a new city it becomes so big so really try and focus on one or two problems that are almost bite size something that you can think through and solve ideally also then part two is not on your own who else in your right. organization can you get to champion change? Who else can you get to help build that learning culture and get those wins? If you're the leader of the organization, it's a little different because you want, you know, you have the mandate and the power to be able to implement changes sometimes, but it's also good whether you're the leader or whether, whether you're not to build those Build those proof points, build those case studies, figure out what's one or two things that you can solve using technology, measure the impact of that change, and then go back to the team and say, hey, here's an, here's an example of something we did. We had this problem. We want to do advance our people. We want to do advance our infrastructure for these reasons. Here's the income or the, the output, the impact. What else can we do? How else can we build this into, into our business. So it's almost habitual to continue learning and continue looking forward. Another kind of hokey idea, and this is something that I've done in the past <laughs> as well, but it, it works is like taking inspiration from outside industries and almost having like moments of sharing yes. each morning, like in your, in your safety meetings or in your leadership meetings, uh, once a week, whatever it is, have somebody find an out of industry example of innovation that solves a problem similar mm. to something that you're facing and share it with the team and under ask them, how can we apply this experience, this problem, this solution yes. that's entirely different. So people don't think about it as you're trying to implement that solution for your business, but more trying to bring, again, that mentality to the space. How can we bring this thought process to the problems we're trying to solve? Yes, I love that. Um, and I would add to that, and, and you you kind of touched on it, but one of the things I would add is if you're not, you're not a, a senior leader in your company, maybe you're not even a mid-level leader, maybe you're, you're a crew leader, maybe you're just a field laborer. I don't want to say just a field laborer, but maybe you're, you're entry level, right? Um, one of the things you can do is I wouldn't let somebody else or your other, or your company that you're working for limit your personal ability to grow, right? Like you can lead up by totally figuring out how to solve those problems. Um, scrambling for the resources, creating them somehow, begging for them, whatever, but like figuring out how to do that, whether it's training, whether it's equipment, you know, obviously equipment, some of it depends, but like, let's say you just need a better leaf blower. Let's say you just need a better rake, you know, whatever. Um, figuring out how to get those things so that you can get your job done more efficiently and then being able to prove over time, like, Hey, look, here was the problem we solve for this, it translates directly into better business results. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you take that up and maybe yeah. somebody else takes credit for it, 
that's going to be frustrating, but it, but at least your company is beginning to shift its mindset. Um, and if you know, totally. you, you've, you've exhausted all of these options that Billy and I are talking about and your company's still unwilling to change, maybe it's time to look somewhere else, right? Like <laughs> maybe it's time if you're that person that's driven to learn and, and your company is not like they're digging their heels in, you probably eventually are going to find that that's not a good fit for you. Totally. Yeah. So you said something too. Um, adoption takes adaptability. And I love, love, I actually wrote that down. I love that, that quote. That's a great, <laughs> um, it's a great quote. It's probably going to end up being the episode title here. Um, <laughs> Excellent. But um, you said change, change isn't easy for a lot of people. And that's, we all understand that. Have you led through a significant change or seen a company that did this well? What steps um, can you take to help your team with a with a transition, with a significant transition like this? Change as a leader, change as a team member is one of the most challenging things that you'll go through in an organization and in your professional career. And it happens all the time, but going through it again and again doesn't always make it easier. But I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a couple things I think about leading through change that are really important. And... Mm. I would start with the idea of engaging and setting expectations with your team. Um, it, making sure that your team is in the loop, that they're engaged, that you talk to them early and often about yes. the change that's coming. And so whether that's a technological change, whether that's a product that you're introducing and starting yes. to deploy, making sure that the team understands not only what the change is going to be, but the reasons behind the change. Why is yes. this change happening? If it's a positive change, what's it going to do? How come this is happening? How is this going to change my role in my day-to-day -day life? So if it's, if it's negative mm -hmm. change, I've been through companies, you know, unfortunately that have had layoffs or gone through downsizing or lost significant clients. What is the, what is that going to impact going to be in the short and long term? Setting those expectations and laying that groundwork is really like the most critical thing that you can do. Because if people know what to expect if people know that they're going to be safe or that they're still valued or that their day-to-day -day life isn't going to change radically and if it is going to change they have the time to mentally and emotionally prepare for that mm -hmm. change yeah if it's so, so it's not sprung on them then you really have the opportunity to to create and lead through change um, I think uh, another step and maybe the next level of engagement beyond just setting expectations is to educate, really provide yes. the information. So again, if you're changing, if you're changing tools, if you're deploying robotic mowers or you're using a new software platform to run your finances, what what's the change and why? And then empower your people to use that tool through education and training and mm. get them on board with it, help them see it and use with hands-on, you know, hands-on trials, how you're going to, how you're going to get them to change, get them excited about it. Don't be dragging your feet as a leader or as, you know, a, um, a, a vocal team member, but be able to get people to see the possibilities down the road of what this tool and what this product can do. And then lastly, well, maybe two other, two other things, uh, <laughs> execute, like actually do it. And maybe we'll get to that in the commitment questions as we talk, as we talk about those <laughs> really, really 
do the change, whatever the change is, whatever it is that you said you were going to do, again, positive yes. or negative, make sure it happens so that people's expectations aren't left hanging. And then lastly, I think, and this is something that gets left out of a lot of change, change execution in companies is an evaluation phase. Once things mm. have happened, once the change has happened, take a step back and do a retrospective and evaluate the impact of that change. Again, if it's, if it's mowers like ours, how has that impacted the crew? Is the crew happier? Does the crew mm. feel more empowered? Are they getting work done faster? How is it impacting the bottom line? Are there hiccups or tensions or pain points anywhere? And how can you solve that? How can you do it differently? Or maybe you're working as a contractor on rerouting or structuring your teams differently. Okay, if we structured our teams with this many people across this many properties, what was working? What wasn't? How can we better and more efficiently use our people? An evaluation period helps you then go back to the beginning of this process and engage the team and say, hey, we looked at this and we're going to change again. And here's what we're going to change. And while you don't want to get change fatigue and live in a world that's dynamic roller coaster up and right. down all the time, going through that process more and more often is almost like, you know, exercising or practicing an instrument. You get into the routine and it almost becomes muscle memory of, okay, engaging the team to talk about change, educating them on the change, executing that change, and then evaluating that change and being able to go through that cycle really helps build the learning organization that you can then adapt to whatever new tools or environment you find yourself in. And I love one of the things you said that I think was really insightful. And so I just want to highlight it again, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth. Um, it's not just about going back and reevaluating, okay, what did this do to the business bottom line, but coming back and saying, okay, how does my team feel about this change? Like what, what types of things, how are they interacting with it? Is this a pot net positive or net negative in terms of sentiment on your team? Cause that impacts yes. retention which also, by the way, impacts your bottom line, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's a really, really good insight, Billy. I appreciate that. Um, of course. Are there any, is there any advice that you have for companies, you're talking about adaptability still, that want to adjust their workflows, their processes, whatever, to accommodate new tech they're trying to introduce? Like, what's a good starting point? Um as people are trying to, you know, they're making the, the decision to incorporate new tech, but um, where do they start going about changing the present reality so that it lines up with what they're trying to accomplish with the, the business problem they're trying to solve with the new tech? As I mentioned earlier, the first, the first thing about it is the mentality. This is a mental shift. Catch yourself or catch your team members saying, well, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way mm. it's always been done is like a death sentence for innovation. There's no way to, to change and grow right. if you do things that have always been done. People think about change as a negative thing. People look at change and they think like, oh, this is bad. But if like by definition, if things are going to get better, they have to change. So change can also yep. lead to positive, like positive movement and forward movement. And it is just that shift in mentality and simply allowing yourself and your team to think about the possibilities is, is one, one step forward. And one thing that's, that's really exciting. And then I think moving forward from there, 
trying to be trying to be adaptable is really about in in the beginning trial and error like you have to give yourself permission <laughs> to fail you have to leave yes. room in your in your routing schedules you have to leave room in your business meetings to try something that's not going to work and that failure yes. can help you move yeah help you move forward help you try different things um and that again it's a mentality it's not necessarily something you can do exactly, but allowing yourself to fail and try different things can be really helpful. It's tricky again, in an environment that's, you know, oftentimes in the field tracked by the minute and run right day by day on, on, on tight margins, but building that in and figuring out where that adaptability can happen is really critical. Well, and I think too, I think um, people get this mentality that, oh, well, I can't switch my whole fleet to robotic mowers. I can't equip every another piece of tech that I love um, for our industry is something called the mulch mate. If you've never seen the mulch mate, go look it up. Nick Carlson. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is yeah their, their booth was next to ours at equip. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Nick's, Nick's a smart guy. Right. So like I can't go buy 12 mulch mates right now. I can't buy 12 solar trailers. Well, you know what? Start with a crew. Figure out. Yeah. Start with one crew. Like try it. But to your point, tr be yep. willing to try something that might not be successful, but start small, run them for a season and compare the efficiencies of the way you've you've always done it, quote unquote, versus incorporating that new tech and see which one of those gains you a bigger profit margin, which one gains you better, healthier, healthier employees, especially with something like a mulch mate, like you're going to have far less, um, yep. far fewer workman's comp claims, probably no one's hurting their back you know, doing four inch Delaware <laughs> stone, um, with a mulch mate. So it, it's, it's one of those things like just, just start small, figure out where those improvements are, um, whether it's time efficiency, you know, um, efficacy, maybe it's just, maybe it's just a more effective way of doing whatever you're trying to accomplish. Um, look at where those gains are. Try building out a new process around that one crew. Use use one crew as a guinea pig. Ask for volunteers. Don't force that on somebody. Ask them for volunteers and start <laughs> small. And then do an apples to apples comparison um, at the end of a season. I think that's a, also a viable way. Would you agree with that? Is that? Totally, totally. If you look at our customer base, it's, it's the same thing. We, we don't want to convert a whole fleet up front. We don't right. want everybody using only... M.52 in their fleets because they won't, won't succeed. It will be such a such a drastic change that um, it won't go well. So how can we mm. ease people in? Try with like you said, one or two crews. If you can, and same with you know any technology or, or new deployment. Like if you can have ninety percent of your operations, ninety percent of your crews still running efficiently, still you know hitting those minute marks and meeting their margins, but you're allowed to flex on ten percent of your crews, and they're maybe right. able to try something different and fail or try something different and succeed and succeed. How can you yeah. then and succeed? Yeah. How can you, how can you use that, that mentality of almost like a 10% or something like that? So you're not doing the whole organization. It's incremental, it's innovation. It's uh, kind of like skunk works opportunity to be able yeah. to then deploy across the whole, the whole business. Um, the last thing you talked about in terms of successful companies, companies that that integrate new technology of any kind for their for the green industry here successfully, um, is commitment. And you talked about um, funding. You said don't don't pull the plug kind of too soon, uh, so to speak, 
on a new initiative, it sounds like you're advocating for a certain time frame commitment before a business makes a decision about effectiveness. Is that kind of what you were driving at? A little bit. I think it would it depends. The time frame itself depends on the technology. The deployment of robotic mowers is going to be a different learning That's curve fair. and impact process than the deployment of a SaaS business platform. Mm-hmm. However, I think there is, as you're going through the process, there is an assessment period or almost like a learning curve period that you need to plan for, you need to budget for, where if you if you don't see impact by X date by X number of months or within a year, again, that'll depend on on what you're looking for and what metrics or what technology you're looking at and what metrics you're using. Um, but pulling the plug too early can often lead to just kind of a, a, a failed or unsupported attempt at yes. change. And so thinking about realistically, what is this going to take? And there's ways to learn that as you go in and as you look at platforms or as you look at solutions, you can talk to the the sales reps and marketing people themselves like you and me, Jay, or you could have customer customer referrals, ask other people who are using those products, what the learning curve was like, what the investment was like, where were the surprise costs, where were the surprise training periods that were needed? How long did it take for you to see impact? So there's opportunities to learn those things beforehand so that your investment, your financial investment pays off. Yeah. And I think the other side of that too, is when you pull the plug on something too soon, you've almost like burned your people capital, right? Because what'll happen then is the naysayers, the people who were going to be resistant to that change anyway, their voices get louder when they say, we tried that and it didn't work. You know, totally (laughs) love those. Been there, done that. Yeah. Here he goes again. Yeah, but that but that faction inside your that faction exists inside your business today, whether you want to admit it or not, if you're listening to this. And just it amplifies when you when you have tried an initiative and it and and you pulled the plug on it too soon, or somebody in the business decided to pull the plug on it too soon, then the next time you need to introduce an innovation, you need to make a change, you're kind of pushing that boulder up a steeper hill than you would have been. Yep, absolutely. Um, one of the things that you said, and and um, you sent in it like a, I send just so if you're listening to this, guests get a pre-show questionnaire. Okay, they um, know kind of kind of where we're going with the show in advance. Um, and one of the things that you filled out in that questionnaire was you said um, a new tool or technology is more successful when multiple leaders are champions of it, not just a couple employees. And I thought that was a tremendous insight. I'm going to steal that quote. But I want to, yeah. um, um, I want to just put that insight out into the show, into the into the uh, podcast verse, so that people can hear it and and kind of absorb that. Can you expand on that idea a little bit? Why is it that um, these types of initiatives are more successful when multiple leaders are champions and multiple people champion it? At its yeah, at its core, it's really about building that culture. It's about not just one individual, one person who's maybe passionate about technology, or one person who's passionate about team trainings. It's really about as an organization, we are committed to these types of values, and there are more than one. There's more than one person, and especially within the leadership team, more than one person in a position of influence that is behind this and thinks this is a good idea. 
we have a herd mentality while we also hate change as humans. <laughs> we also tend to kind of follow or at least assess what other people around us are thinking. And that just, you know, it's, it's not kind of a linear addition. It's not like, okay, Tom plus Nick plus Harry thinks this is a good idea. So that makes three people. It's really more exponential that influence compounds on, on each other. And if you as an organization have multiple people behind something, there's just more force to the idea. And again, it becomes a cultural yes. commitment, a cultural behavior of the organization versus just somebody's one-off idea. Mm. Also with multiple leaders, you tend to have kind of a cross-functional representation, which means it's going to be more impactful across the business. Or if you have mm -hmm. leaders at different levels within the same vertical of an organization. Um, so yes. in, in that first example, if you have someone from finance and field operations and people operations all championing the same business software platform, the rest of the people in the organization can see, hey, that team thinks it's cool. So I guess that works for like, we think it's cool good for the business as a forward. whole. Yeah. Good for the business as a whole. And then if you look vertical up report, you know, chains of command, if you know, your boss is saying something is cool and your boss's boss is also really excited about it. You don't see, you know, that, that kind of chain isn't broken. If your boss is complaining about this new tool and it's going to be a pain in the ass to deploy and I don't right, want to really right. do this, but but Bob up above says we have to, that's not going to be a successful deployment. So right. having that within the chain of command too, just again, it just compounds, it just multiplies the possibility of, of what that change or what that tool can do. Now, I want to ask this too, because I want to make sure that, because um, like I, I hear what you're saying. And one of the things that I think through is when I'm looking for those key leaders in the company to buy into it, I'm not necessarily, if it's me, if I'm the owner, if I'm the CEO, to me, those people don't have to have a title, right? Like totally. they don't have to be C-suite. I can, if I got a C-suite, you know, like the guy that's running my ops or the guy that's running my finance, that's not on board, but some of their subordinates who are well-respected across the company, right? Like People mm -hmm. know their work ethic. They know they work hard. They're well-liked. They have influence, you know those people in your company and you know who I'm talking about, if you're listening to this, like when other people have a gripe, when other people have a complaint, um, they're a problem solver. So cross departmentally, maybe other people come to them to solve things, but they don't have a title. I wouldn't, I would loop yeah. them into this too. Totally. Leaders. I want are not those people on my team because they hold influence. And that's what really what the definition of leadership is in my book. Yep. Yeah. And for, us, we've had great, we've had great success identifying those who are excited about using our robots and mm -hmm. figuring out who's the champion within organizations. But yeah, the people who are most excited might not be the leaders, might not be the executives, but they might have incredible clout within mm -hmm. their crew. Maybe they've been on the same crew for decades, or maybe they've come into a crew and led in such a way that it's been really impactful that people want to listen to them. And again, yeah. like you said, it's not about a title. It's about the influence that you have. Yeah. And I mean, you obviously need enough senior level people on board to like really get it to get momentum. But what I'm saying is you don't have to have your C-suite in hundred percent alignment and you don't have to rely yep. solely on people with some sort of a director level or higher title 
to get the engine moving, grab people from the field level that you know have influence with the rest of the team and are willing to invest their influence into moving the initiative forward. Um, so that's just, that's just my take. I love that. I think that's really good. Um, Billy, it, how would people, right. if, if someone's listening to this and they're interested in learning more about Scythe, they want to connect with you personally. Um, how would they go about getting more information about, and if you haven't, by the way, go check out their YouTube channel and check out, was it, it's the M.52. <laughs> um, that's a yep. cool video. M.52. I think it's a really, really just awesome product. So, um, how would people learn more about you personally, you know, find out a way to connect with you and learn more about, uh, your products. Yeah. Find me on LinkedIn, Billy Ottoman, O-T-T-E-E-M-A-N, like the empire, not the footstool spelled a little different in, in both ways. <laughs> um, but yeah, fine. Uh, feel free to connect with me and reach out to me on LinkedIn. Marketing at scytherobotics.com is my email address as well. If you want to reach out there um, with any specific follow-ups or, or anything that you're looking to learn more about. If you're looking for just general information or want to see more about M.52, our autonomous mower, like Jay mentioned, our YouTube channel has our latest video kind of showing the next generation of the machine that we just launched this summer, as well as our website, scytherobotics.com or get scythe.com will show you more information about the reservation process and kind of where things stand with our deployments now. Fantastic. And I will have links to those in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to um, connect with Billy personally, you want to email him, learn more about uh, their products, um, go check them out. Even if you don't run a landscape company, even if you, let's say you're an arborist, you're listening to this, it's a pretty cool piece of tech. It's kind of, fun, it's fun to watch the videos. So uh, Billy, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you being a guest. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks.